Section 58 of The Man Who Loves by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maxim Babich from Desnogorsk. The Man Who Loves by Victor Hugo. Part 2. Book the Second. Gwynplaine and Dia. Chapter 12. Ursus the Poet drags on Ursus the philosopher. Then Dia entered. He looked at her, and saw nothing but her. This is love. One may be carried away for a moment by the importunity of some other idea, but the beloved one enters, and all that does not appertain to her presence immediately fades away, without her dreaming that perhaps she is effacing in us a world. Let us mention a circumstance. In Chaos Vanquished, the word monstruo addressed to Gwynplaine displeased Dia. Sometimes, with the smattering of Spanish, which every one knew at the period, she took it into her head to replace it by queero, which signifies, I wish it. Ursus tolerated, although not without an expression of impatience, this alteration in his text. He might have said to Dia, as in our day Massar said to Visso, to manque de respect au repertoire. The Laughing Man. Such was the form of Gwynplaine's fame. His name, Gwynplaine, little known at any time, had disappeared under his nickname, as his face had disappeared under its grin. His popularity was like his visage, a mask. His name, however, was to be read on a large placard in front of the green box which offered the crowd the following narrative composed by Ursus. Here is to be seen Gwynplaine, deserted at the age of ten, on the night of the twenty-ninth of January, 1690, by the villainous Comprechicos, on the coast of Portland. The little boy has grown up, and is called now the Laughing Man. The existence of these mountebanks was as an existence of lepers in a leper house, and of the blessed in one of the Pleiades. There was every day a sudden transition from the noisy exhibition outside into the most complete seclusion. Every evening they made their exit from this world. They were like the dead, vanishing on condition of being reborn next day. A comedian is a revolving light, appearing one moment, disappearing the next, and existing for the public but as a phantom or a light as his life circles round. To exhibition succeeded isolation. When the performance was finished, whilst the audience were dispersing and their murmur of satisfaction was dying away in the streets, the green box shut up its platform as a fortress does its drawbridge, and all communication with mankind was cut off. On one side the universe, on the other the caravan, and this caravan contained liberty, clear consciences, courage, devotion, innocence, happiness, love, all the constellations. Blindness having sight and deformity, beloved, set side by side, hand pressing hand, brow touching brow, and whispered to each other, intoxicated with love. The compartment in the middle served two purposes. For the public it was a stage, for the actors a dining room. Ursus, 
ever delighting in comparisons, profited by the diversity of its uses to liken the central compartment in the green box to the aeroduct in an Abyssinian hut. Ursus counted the receipts. Then they supped. In love all is ideal. In love, eating and drinking together affords opportunities for many sweet promiscuous touches by which a mouthful becomes a kiss. They drank ale or wine from the same glass as they might drink dew out of the same lily. Two souls in love are as full of grace as two birds. Gwynplaine waited on Dea, cut her bread, poured out her drink, approached her too close. Hum! cried Ursus, and he turned away, his scolding melting into a smile. The wolf supped under the table, heedless of everything which did actually not concern his bone. Phoebe and Venus shared the repast, but gave little trouble. These vagabonds, half wild and as uncouth as ever, spoke in the gypsy language to each other. At length Deary entered the women's apartment with Phoebe and Venus. Ursus chained up Homo under the green box. Gwynplaine looked after the horses, the lover becoming a groom, like a hero of Homer's or a paladin of Charlemagne's. At midnight all were asleep, except the wolf, who, alive to his responsibility, now and then opened an eye. The next morning they met again. They breakfasted together, generally on ham and tea. Tea was introduced into England in 1678. Then Dia, after the Spanish fashion, took a siesta, acting on the advice of Ursus, who considered her delicate, and slept some hours, while Gwynplaine and Ursus did all the little jobs of work, without and within, which their wandering life made necessary. Gwynplaine rarely wandered away from the green box, except on unfrequented roads and in solitary places. In cities he went out only at night, disguised in a large, slouched hat, so as not to exhibit his face in the street. His face was to be seen uncovered only on the stage. The green box had frequented cities but little. Gwynplaine at twenty-four had never seen towns larger than the sink ports. His renown, however, was increasing. It began to rise above the populace and to percolate through higher ground. Amongst those who were fond of and ran after strange foreign curiosities and prodigies, it was known that there was somewhere in existence, leading a wandering life, now here, now there, an extraordinary monster. They talked about him, they sought him, they asked where he was. The laughing man was becoming decidedly famous. A certain luster was reflected on chaos vanquished. So much so, that one day Ursus, being ambitious, said, We must go to London. End of section 58